Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Do you hear the voice of, who am I to think I can do anything special? I'm not good enough. What can I possibly do? I invite you to listen to this interview as Michelle and Woodward and I talk about this. We're first going to start out with a listener question, and then we'll go into talking about moving through unworthiness. All right. Hello and welcome to my conversations with my great friend, Michelle Woodward. She is grounded and so wise. And um, today we're here to talk about the unworthiness, which is one of those things that hold us back, right? From really being grounded, from really showing up in our lives. And, but before we go into that, we have a question from a listener, Pernelia, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, from Sweden. And the topic is about fear and anxiety. And um, she says, I'm the worrying kind and I have been sort of my whole life, but the last few years, I find it has gotten worse in many ways. I'm trying to get a handle on fear and anxiety and have a few clues. It gets worse if I haven't taken care of myself lack of sleep, exercise, bad eating habits, lack of own space, um, time and re- for reflection. But also, I find that if I'm not paying attention to things that are thrown at me during the day, the negative feelings of other people, negative news in the media, scary movies, etc., and choose to keep it at a distance, it will get me in a worried state, which will easily transform into anxiety or fear. I think that today's society drives a lot of fear, both in the small world as well as in the big one. Everything from not being enough, as a mother, wife, worker, and so on, to the state of the world, poverty, climate change, war, disease. We have access to so much information today, and the focus in the media is on the bad stuff. I think that there is so much good stuff in the world that we are missing out on. My question is, why is it so much harder to handle your fears and anxiety during the night than during the day? It is like night and darkness does something for to your brain. Everything gets bigger and worse and exaggerated. Do you have any tips and tricks to be able to get rest and get your sleep? Although that anxiety and fear is riding you. I have one thing that I've tried and it sometimes works. That is to change the fear into gratitude, gratefulness. If you're afraid of losing your job, you can transform it into being grateful that you have the job right now. I love your show and listen to it every time. <laughs> and then she said, Michelle, it makes her household chores so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be on your team to make your household chores a better way to do it. Um, so Michelle, what do, you, what do you have to say about handling fears and anxiety at nighttime versus during the day? Well, I would want to step back kind of to a super big picture for a minute before, you know, before getting into that. So I want to go macro and then come down to micro. But I think from a macro standpoint, one of the key uh, tenets of my coaching is to really know yourself. And if you know that you're a, a highly sensitive person, um, that, that you really feel things deeply, you might actually choose to, to limit what it is that you're exposed to. 
just as if you knew you're allergic. I happen to be allergic. You're going to be surprised. I'm allergic to all melons. I'm allergic. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I'm allergic to cantaloupe, watermelon, honeydew, all that stuff. So I, I actually don't eat it. It's just something I choose to not eat because I know what the consequence of eating that is for me. It's going to be pretty much that I can't breathe, which is, as you know, not good. So if I knew that I was a highly sensitive person, that I felt this stuff very acutely, I would actually honor myself by limiting my exposure to the things that trigger me. And I think from that macro standpoint, knowing that I, you know, that that's really is a trigger for me, I'm going to limit my exposure to it. And I'm going to focus on the things that you know, are better for me, are more helpful for me, do help me be a better person. And then by doing that, I'm going to probably be able to sleep better at night. What do you think of that? No, I I think that's really important. And I think with the melons, right, there's a, a very direct reason why to stay away from the melons, right? By going to the melons more, it's not like the trigger's not going to happen. Your body's allergic to it. Um, and I can't tell myself, like I've had people in my life, they stay very briefly, um, who say, oh, come on, you can eat it. It's not going to hurt you, right? Because mm-hmm. for whatever the way they're wired, they would like someone to join them in eating that, that watermelon on an August day because it's a great experience for them. Mm-hmm. But those people aren't seeing me. Mm-hmm. They aren't seeing me for who I am. So I could imagine if you're a very sensitive person, a really strongly feeling person, that you might have people in your life saying, oh, come on, toughen up. Mm-hmm. This is not such a big deal. But for you, it's the equivalent of being allergic to something. And if somebody in your life can't ex- respect that, that this is just not right for you, then they're really probably not the right people in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think giving yourself permission to understand that, like what is it that you need? Um, there was a There was a movie... It was, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's with Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts. And I watched it. Oh, oh or uh, August Osage County. Mm-hmm. And after I was done, I said, I'm done. Not going to watch movies like that anymore. Um, don't need to see something horrific. I understand it. That there's unnecessary like personal suffering that I was going through watching the movie and did not need that. And so like I don't see horror films because it's not necessary. Like I don't need to get into that frightened state. And I didn't need to see that kind of struggle. Um, so there are things that I become really deliberate about. And sometimes it's also the news because, you know, the the main focus of the news is what? If it bleeds, it leads. Um, so how can I how can I create the awareness if that's my priority of what's happening in the world, but also understand where my sensitivities lie, you know, and um, then what's the cost to me? So if it is the sleep, um, so I think that part's really important. There's uh, another aspect too I just want to throw out there is that this idea, you know, if you have an idea about yourself, again, you know, if you really probe in and say, who am I? Who am I at my best? What triggers me to go to, towards my worst? What makes me feel really unsettled? You know, sometimes people have this idea, um, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Either the world is out to get me. Um, people like me don't succeed. People like us don't succeed. And so, you know, you look for the data and you look for the evidence that reinforces that belief. And so if you want to feel like you are just sort of um, 
you know, flotsam riding on the top of the, the ocean, you know, that you're just a little piece of something that's thrown around by the currents. You can really watch the news and find a lot of evidence for that. Mm-hmm. But if you can also, if you have a different way of looking at your life, so I have these, you know, great deep relationships. I have work that's important to me. I'm, you know, what, whatever it is that does really buoy you up and forget the other side, don't listen to that other side, you actually have a more calm, peaceful, centered life. It all, de- it all depends on how you tell the story. Mm-hmm. For me, again, it, like in my words, it goes back to where are you grounded, right? If you're grounded in fear and how you're going to look at the world and the news that you may see, it may come at you in a different way. Um, but then the other side, and like, and I, I interviewed Carla McLaren, who wrote the language of emotions, I believe, and the art of empathy. And I'll put links um, on the show notes page for this, for this conversation. But she talked about, you know, listening to the message from your emotions. So when you have fear and anxiety, what is the message be- behind it? And, and are you over, you know, Kristen Neff's work of self-compassion, she would say, you know, mindfulness, it's the, it's the idea not to over-identify with our thoughts and our feelings. So we can go into and like, you know, I can be a big catastrophizer and I'm much better now through years of practice, but it's not thinking that this horrible thing goes into that lack, right, of that fearful place and not over-identifying with it but about how can I move through it? Okay, here's some fear. How can I move through it? Um, what is this here? What is this here telling, you know, what is the message behind this and having the perspective to say, okay, well, will this really happen to me? You know, one of the big fears that a common female fear that I hear all the time that's kind of stereotypical is, you know, being um, broke and living down by the river in a van, right? Okay, well, if that's the worst case scenario, what, where are all the different degrees between there and where you are now? So if this doesn't work out, are you really going to go live down by the river, right? Or maybe you lose this client or you lose this job, but how do you move through it? And so again, it's that mindfulness piece of not over-identifying with our thoughts and our feelings. And I think that practice, you know, um, I'd invite you to do that. And I love how, uh, Pernelia, you talk about, you know, changing your fear into gratefulness. Um, and, and how that works for you. Like, okay, I'm grateful because I have this job right now. Yeah, I'm grateful because, um, you know, I have a friend I can walk with. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whatever the, the gratitude is, it really does change the quality of your experience in life. Well, and um, so you're a Miss Fact Finder. So Barbara Fredrickson, where is she from? I think University of North Carolina wrote the book Positivity. And she has this positivity uh, ratio that she came up with through her research was that for like every negative experience you have, if you have three positive things, and so that's why the gratitude practice is so important because three positive things can, uh, can be the tipping point for that negative. And so oftentimes with my clients, I'll talk about, okay, what are the three things that we can be grateful of? And it doesn't have to be like those adrenaline moments. You know, it could be that I get to be, you know, having a conversation with the awesome Michelle Woodward right now. Um, and, or, you know, I could be having a cup of coffee or isn't it nice that, um, like last night I, I looked and I all of a sudden realized that my whole family was at the pool. We were all at one place and that's kind of a new concept for us. Right. And, um, and how nice it was that I didn't have to worry about is my cell phone on and will my kids be able to contact me if there's an emergency? It was, we're all right here. Right. So focusing on that gratitude 
can be a really helpful thing. And I think, you know, building new neural pathways um, to get out of the catastrophizing that I do, that's helped me get out of my own catastrophizing. You know, on September 11th, since I live in Washington, D.C., um, September 11th was very present here. I live about three miles north of the Pentagon, and you could I could stand on my front lawn and smell the burning from there. Um, my kids at the time were going to, they were little kids, and they were going to um, school in Washington, D.C., so I had to get them and then drive out of the city when there was so much uncertainty. But as I watched the video footage and, you know, just watched the, the CNN, you know, endlessly during that day, what I really was overwhelmed with the feeling is so much gratitude that my, my children were there with me and that we were safe. My father was here at the time. He had an apartment um, much closer to the Pentagon. I called him. He drove over here. He was with us. You know, and so in, even in those moments, I would suggest to Pernille that if even in these moments where you feel like things are overwhelming and you feel flooded with anxiety, to stop and say, okay, but what is good about this moment? You know, in this particular moment right here, I'm warm. You know, mm-hmm. in this, I'm, I'm not in the rain. I'm, I'm warm. I'm dry. You know, I, I have enough food to eat, whatever the gratitude might be. Because even though the situation in the Ukraine is frightening, I'm going to find one thing that actually is okay about the situation that I'm currently in. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't act. You know, for instance, if um, I saw on television, well, like the Ni- Nigerian schoolgirls, right? The, the ones that were kidnapped by Boko Haram. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can't get on a plane and go over there and pull those girls out. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I could maybe make a contribution to save the children if they're working with uh, to, to secure their release. If I'm worried about Ukraine, maybe what I can do is I can make a donation to Doctors Without Borders mm-hmm. because that's in my power to do. I can't change the world. I can only change me and my actions in the world. But then by changing that, I might actually change the world. Well, so this brings up last weekend, I was a conversation with um, one of my friends and she is uh, the definition of a person who's very, very nice. Um, And her mother is just as nice too. And so we were talking and, you know, we live in a privileged life. I mean, we live, we're women in the United States and um, in a, you know, privileged community. And they started talking about some of the world problems and there was like almost this energy of guilt around that. And um, so I, I look at that like with your hundreds units of energy is guilt and worry, right? And the same thing even with fear can be a lot of wasted energy. It doesn't help me move forward. And so when they were talking about that, I said, you know, I have to look at how can I change the world? What are the things that I can do that I can make with my place, with my priorities and my values that can change the world? And and they looked at me and I said, well, you know, I'm not going to go fly off to Africa, because my priorities are home with my kids, but what are the things that I can do? And so one of the ways is this radio show, working with my clients. And then the other is, that's one of the big reasons that I still coach the Aqua Monsters or the, I'm the director of the Aqua Monsters is that I feel like that is a place, that's my way to change the world. And even though I live in this privileged community with this, it's how can I kind of nourish and grow leaders within the staff and then also 
cultivate children who are going to go and do whatever they're going to go do in the world. And I have a lot of evidence of this, like, you know, between my husband and I, how many of our former athletes are out there making their impact. And, you know, maybe um, we've, he's had fighter pilots. One of the actually pilots that was in was at the Virgin Galactic mm. crash is one of my husband's old swim, uh, swimmers, you know. Oh. And so when you can start to see, it's like, okay, what's not, maybe I can't make the direct change in this moment. But where to, again, back to the seeds, what are the seeds that I can cultivate in the next 10 to 20 to 30 years? And I don't really know where they're going to grow, but how can I have soil, you know, to help soil that is really nourishing so that people can grow and then go off and help the world be a better place. So that's, that's, that was, that's how I look at helping the world and making it a better place? How can I make my community a better place? You know, what are things that I can do a direct impact and what are things short-term versus what are things long-term that I can do? Instead of thinking that, I think the younger me was like, I have to do it all and I have to do it all right now. Um, there's, a, there's more space in there. You know, but, and then there are people like, you know, again, if you, if you have a mindset or a, a personal narrative that says, you know, I'm a little nobody mm-hmm. that nobody ever listens to and that I, I don't have any personal power. I'm never going to have personal power. People like us don't get personal power. Then, then you might really be feel somewhat ineffective, ineffectual. You know, it's impossible for you to make a difference. But that's it's really not true. I mean, if you're asking that question, who am I? You know, I, I feel like um, maybe this is grandiose. You'll tell me if it's grandiose, right? But I feel like if I go to Starbucks mm-hmm. and I hold the door open for a woman pushing a twin stroller through the door, if I hold the door open for her and um, and smile at her, you know, maybe she has a little bit of a different day mm-hmm. than she would have if she nobody helped her and she struggled to get that door open. And, and so, you know, I, I can't go solve Ebola. Mm-hmm. I am incapable of finding a cure for cancer. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried. No, I haven't tried. But, you know, but I, I, it's impossible for me to do that. But what is possible for me to do in the world and be a force for good, which, you know, is my thing. I think we're all here to be a force for good, is to not ask myself, Am I worthy to hold the door open for this woman, but just to hold the door open Mm -hmm. because that's who I want to be in the world. It doesn't even matter if she says thank you. Mm -hmm. It matters that I'm, I'm the human being I want to be in the world. And then that makes me feel capable. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it goes back to my idea of the small things that matter, right? Because when I, when I work on this meaning and purpose with clients, you know, they'll say, oh, well, of course you have meaning and purpose because look at this work that you do or look at your radio show, right? And they go into that comparison and despair game. And I say, you know, a lot of times my idea of meaning and purpose, it's similar to your Starbucks. It's how can I connect with the cashier at the grocery store, right? So I put my phone in my pocket. I don't talk as I go through the line because for me, every person matters, So how can I treat them like a human being instead of, oh, they're here at service and I'm going to disregard them as a person? So, you know, it's not that they they see Corinne come and they go, oh, you know, here's Corinne and she's going to validate me, but it's how can I contribute to the world? And and then I get a lot back from that because then when my daughter, my teenage daughter went with me this fall, 
I was talking to different people in the store because we've had different conversations. And one of the cashiers goes, oh, how did your meat turn out? And she looked at me and she goes, how do these people know you? And I said, well, you know, I come here all the time and then I talk to them and they give me advice. I go try it out. We have conversations, right? And I'm sure for them, it makes their day go by a little bit faster instead of, you know, doing something that's, you know, that may not. And there's that connection because I have a belief that, you know, we are all hardwired for connection. We want to connect. And, um, and, and maybe we don't want to connect with everybody, but we do want to connect. And so how can we say hello? How can we open the door and make the world a better place? So I think that, and so never discount. And then what you said about like, who am I to be worthy to open the door or to make a difference? And as you said that, because I've asked myself that question like a thousand times, like who am I to be on this radio, right? Who am I to ask somebody to be a guest on my show? Um, those are crappy questions. And when I ask that question of myself, I don't show up. That's when I don't have the courage to, you know, reach out to somebody to be on my show. Versus like, okay, when I can think of, here's a platform that I have, I want to learn, I want to help people, who can I invite to be a part of this? That's going to move me forward. So earlier this week, I belonged to a kind of a, a loose um, group of uh, women uh, in Washington, D.C. who are involved in sort of communications and PR, and it sort of comes out of my past. Actually, a friend of mine started the group and said, would you please join I know it's not really the work you do anymore, but I'm afraid nobody's going to join. So it would be nice to just have one person. I'm like, sure, I'm totally in. And it's really been a group that's been around now for about eight years, and it's all email. And basically someone puts writes on an email to the whole group and say, I need somebody who, or I need help with this, or does anybody know? So somebody wrote, "Could does anybody know somebody who could do a one-hour talk on time management? Well, you know, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that sleeping, <laughs> which is great time management, by the way. So I just wrote back and said, hey, I, you know, I have that in the can. I have a one-hour lunch and learn. I'm happy to do it. Let me know what the situation is. And because of that email, somebody else in the group reached out and emailed me and said, I am a CEO, and I'm in a group of six other CEOs, and we've been looking for an executive coach to work with us and facilitate our meetings can I put, can, can we put some time on your calendar? And I wrote back and said, absolutely. That's wonderful. Let's do it. Well, there are people who would get that email from somebody who would say, I'm one of six CEOs in this group and we're looking for a coach and they would anguish. Who am I to say I could help six CEOs? You know, who am I to, to, to even be able to be in the mix to get this work. I better not answer. It's like what Sheryl Sandberg says when, you know, she'd put a, a job posting up and there'd be six criterion that, that were needed for the successful candidate. And a guy would look at that and say, man, I got three and a half. I'm so totally got this job <laughs> locked. And a woman look at, looks at it and says, gosh, I only have five and a half. I better not apply. You know, what I, I can't listen to any voice that tells me you're not worthy to work with these six CEOs because if I did, I would never have any work. I have to say, I don't know what these six CEOs want, but I'm going to bring my best self to the table. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to be conscious enough to say to them, I don't think I'm the right person for you. Let me help you find the right person. 
So how do you go about not listening to that voice? I don't have that voice. Did you ever have that voice? <laughs> sure, I had that voice. Okay. But I mean, I think, I, I think in my, definitely in my 20s I did. Um, but what I felt like was that voice was holding me back. Um, I don't think this was a conscious thought, but I, I think there, I can look back on my career and realize that there was a point at which I was playing small. And because of that, I wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve. Now, I did work at the White House. You know, I did have mm-hmm. some great experiences. But I, I um, said no to a lot of things because I'm like, who am I to say yes that I could be on CNN? You know, who am I to say yes that I could do this job that takes Senate confirmation or whatever? And I realized that I could continue to do that and play small and maybe some people would be happy other people in the world that I wasn't competing with, but I would be miserable. So I just stopped. And I said, you know what? What the hell? <laughs> I wonder if your, your love of baseball helps you. Maybe so. But I do think, you know, when, when we talked earlier about, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? I can live in a van down by the river. You know, I'm a divorced person. and There was a period of time in my life where I thought the absolute worst thing in the world that could happen would be to be divorced. And guess what? The worst thing in the world happened. Mm-hmm. And I kept breathing. Mm-hmm. And I kept living. And I kept having, you know, experiences that were rich in my life. So I learned that the worst thing wasn't actually the worst thing. I also have had a phone call in my life where someone says, your test results show that you have cancer. You might think that would be the worst thing, but you know what? It wasn't the worst thing. It turned out to be an okay thing. It turned out to be an okay, treatable thing. So I've had a number of circumstances in my life where the thing that I thought was the worst thing, the worst possible thing showed up in my life and you know, it wasn't so bad. So now I feel like, what the hell? What's the worst thing that could happen? Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. You know, as you're saying this, and I think about when I went through those things that were really hard, and as you know of, as I was on the phone with you, um, that those when those worst things happened, and now that I've moved through it and come out the other end, I realized that those were training grounds for me to develop resilience. At the time, I didn't want it, and I thought it was going to be horrible, and I would stay there, but... uh it, those those hard times is what helped me move through it. And so now when I can go through a hard time, I may not like it. I may not be happy there. But I also, I think that's where it's easy for me to go, what can I learn from this? Because I know I'm going to move through it. Do you think with your experiences with going through divorce and with getting the cancer call, those be, those allowed you to grow and become more resilient? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm you know, I never thought I would say I am so very grateful that all that crap happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I at the time and you could you knock me down with a feather if someone had said, you know, someday you'll look back on this and you'll be so grateful. I would be like, give me a weapon. You are <laughs> but no, really, it's just like, how could that possibly be? But you know what? It has it did turn out to be the the, the easiest path for me to be fully myself was to have these really hard, very challenging, crappy experiences in my life. And I look back, I would not be who I am. I would not be here on the 
radio with you had I not had these experiences that shaped me. And so now even the hard things, the hard things that cause me to focus, you know, that really demand me to focus and, and put myself on the line and, and really evaluate things are actually the greatest teachers in the world. You know, and but that's also when you think about it, like the people who get stuck, because I've been the person that's been stuck on this one side, and now I've, I've been the person that can flourish through those hard times, right? When I was stuck, um, it was because like I just I I couldn't see that there was going to be an opening in the clouds. I thought this rainstorm was going to continue on forever, and even last year with the floods that you had on the East Coast, eventually the sun came out took longer than most of you all would have liked, but eventually the sun came out. And don't you think for you, it's like, okay, you had some resilience, you got, you got knocked down, you got back up, you get knocked down, you get back up. And, um, but you, I don't know if it's like looking for ways out or, you know, building momentum versus somebody else who can get stuck. Do you see the difference of what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, All right, to go to like the really zen kind of woo-woo side of this whole thing, you know, there there will be a time when things are really bad and I won't be able to get out of it. And that's when I will die. You know, I mean, there may be a time when things are so, you know, physically so bad. It may happen really quickly. Who knows? You know, it could be in an accident, not good. And things happen really fast. And, and there's not going to be an upside. There's only going to be a downside. But to be in my mind in a place of, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, then that's what it's going to be. I'm not going to fight reality, right? I'm always going to be this, the person who says, what can I learn from this experience? What can I learn here? What, what is here for me to learn? But there is going to be a time when maybe it's, it's just going to continue to go downhill. And I have to be okay with that too, because by being okay with that, then it gives me the presence to be able to say yes to stuff that stretch me now. Is that like way out there kind of woo-woo comment? No, no, I think it's not. I think it's also about how do you move through, right? It goes back to that mindfulness bit of not over-identifying. Like, you know, you could have... (laughs) This is real life, people. We talk about Zen and dog spark. Oh, the beauty of dogs, dogs, babies, you know, we have all all that stuff. Um, The idea of. um, I lost lost my train of thought. All right. So we'll stop and you can edit this and take a little pause. No. I'll just, I'll go back to something for a second. Okay, go. So the thing is, is that I, I really believe that if we can all get to the place where whatever happens is going to be okay, you know, it may not be what we expect it to be. It may not be what we hoped it would be, but knowing myself well enough, it's probably going to be okay. It may be sad. I'm willing to allow it to be sad. It may be joyful. I'm willing to allow it to be joyful. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm going to be okay with whatever it is regardless of the outcome, mm-hmm. because it's about the experience. It is about the experience. So with Pernelia's question, because I do want to make sure we go back to that, she asked, you know, why is it so much harder to handle your fears and anxiety during the night than during the day? 
What do you think? I guess because as a a highly sensitive person, you haven't marshaled your energy appropriately during the day to allow you to have a good night's sleep. So you haven't discharged all that. You haven't, haven't limited your exposure and what exposure you have. You've discharged it. You haven't done that well. And I think once you can kind of turn it around, limit your exposure to the stuff that really causes you pain, um, I think you start to sleep better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think that too. And then I also think like I know, um, you know, there's, just so, there's not much going on in the middle of the night. Right. So when you do wake up, there's not, you, you don't have these distractions or this to do list or these people to encounter with. You're, you're sitting there in bed in the dark. And so I know one of the things that I do, if on occasion that I wake up in the middle of the night from stress, is I go and fill myself up, you know. And a lot of times it's either, it can be learning or it can be fiction. And I'll just read something. Or I've even, you know, gotten up and done some work when I had, some work responsibilities that I was feeling some pressure on. And so I I could sit there and dwell on it or how can I move through it knowing that this is what I'm feeling right now, checking in to see if it was in, there were any truth to it and then what can I learn from it and then how can I move through. So sometimes it was just about understanding that and instead of just, I one of the worst things that I can do for myself in the middle of the night is story fondle that fear you know, and sit with it and let it grow and let it fester. And then I can, cause I can go into catastrophizing. You may not, but I can do that. So, um, one of the things that I do is a technique from the addiction community, which is called thought stopping. Uh-huh. And so, because I have a huge priority around sleep because I go pretty hard during the day. I mean, I really am, uh, you know, attempting to be present and be mindful uh, you know, as much of the waking hours as I possibly can. So I really need my sleep to recharge. So if in the middle of the night, I, you know, around three in the morning is usually when it's a challenge for me to stay asleep. And if some thought wakes me up or I have some sort of discordant dream, I will just stop. I will just, with thought stopping, you actually just stop the thought. You just say, I'm not going to have that thought right now. And it takes some practice. But what I've learned to do is to say, okay, we're not having this dream right now. (laughs) We're not having this thought right now. Right now we're focusing on sleep and sleep is freaking awesome. (laughs) And and, and I find that if I say that to myself and I turn over, because I'm a side sleeper, if I turn over, it goes away. Did it take you some time to like get that skill set established? Well, I think because, as I said, that sleep is such a huge priority to me. Again, I had that idea of there's a consequence if I don't sleep. And also because I've been a single parent, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew that if I didn't sleep at night, I was going to be a lousy parent during the day. And so the the consequence, there was a consequence for ruminating. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped ruminating so that I didn't suffer that consequence. I love that. I, I remember thought stopping. Um, and I think um, one of the things was like you could wear, like I, I always have a hairband because I have long mm-hmm. hair um, by my watch. And so one of the things you can do with thought stopping, people wear rubber bands is to kind of just pull the rubber the rubber band or hairband so that there's kind of that stop. It's it's like what they do with dogs. And this may be so inhumane. I'm not a dog owner, but you know, those electric fences. So they get that little shock. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's, it's, it is like a, the Skinner box uh, in psychology. It's, it is that 
you know, that there is a uh, an action and a reward or a punishment. And so with thought stopping, when you have a rubber band or a, you know, a hair tie around your wrist and you say, I'm not going to have that and you snap yourself, you you are instilling in your brain a negative consequence to the negative thought. They use this also for people who are trying to quit smoking or trying to quit drinking or any kind of behaviors that you want to shift and that you can shift your thoughts this way too. That's cool. Okay. So I want to go back to this worthiness thing and the thing that holds us back, right? Because you work with clients on this. I work with clients on this. I've had to do my own work on this. Um, and it's that voice of, you know, I'm not good enough or, you know, how can I go and do this? How can I show up and work with these CEOs or how can I um, go give this talk or ask for what I want in my job or what I want in my marriage? Um, and how do you help people move through that? I try to call them back to a time in their life when they really did feel worthy. And if worthiness is not a word they really relate to. You know, I, I, I asked them to think about a time in their life when they felt like they were really in the flow, like they were really confident, like they were really in touch with their capacity, um, that sort of thing. And then reacquaint them with what that feels like and then ask them to go out and where can they find that in their current situation. It's really revealing sometimes when they say, yeah, boy, that was the way it was for me when I was in graduate school because of this, this, this and this. And what I know about my current workplace is uh, that's never going to happen because of this, this, and this, not because it's a story, but because the reality of their situation, in which case they know they've got to leave. And um, so with that, with that, I'm not good enough, isn't that something that just makes us small and we don't get to, we can get stuck in that story instead of looking at how can we move through it? Like, oh, maybe maybe this isn't the right environment for me. What are the other possibilities that are out there? What can I go out and seek? A very wise woman told me the other day that uh, her mother used to do her homework for her. <laughs> I heard that story somewhere. But anyway, um, so, you know, and, and to think about ways that in the past that you got the message for whatever reason, it wouldn't even be malicious, you know, because of, someone, I'm not going to point any fingers, but you, um, but because of somebody's mother's uh, worries, they became your worries, or they became, they had an impact on you. And my point is, is that we have to see where did that, where does that legacy story come from? And is it something that still rings true for me now? Mm -hmm. You know, my, uh, I know you're going to find this absolutely shocking, but the thing that was told to me most when I was a child was, Michelle, you talk too much. <laughs> I know that's shocking, isn't it, the way I am? But the point is that is that I could still carry that forward with me. Or I could say, that is no longer true, which is something that I told myself very early in my life. And because of that, I was able to be in the theater. I was be able to be the news director of my radio uh, college radio station. I've used words my whole life because mm -hmm. I realized even early on that that was somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. It's integral to who I am. You, you know, it's so interesting because um, I was thinking about that in, in athletics and stuff, you know, and especially being a woman, one of the messages that when I was at the college was, oh, you're too emotional and, or you care. And that was just 
that I cared too much or I was passionate, right? And one of the things that I've just come to own is when I am at my best, like it is when I am, uh, I just, I use my heart, right? There's this energy that flows through and I can connect and I can go to that place. And so, um, and allowing myself to be vulnerable instead of it has to be the stiff upper lip and, you know, this dictatorial style. That's not who I am and that's not me at my best. But when we have those critics that are out there, it's about not listening, like, I guess not listening to the ones, knowing whose opinion matters and whose doesn't. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, and to um, not let somebody, uh, in my experience, a lot of times when somebody is passionate, it's off-putting to somebody else because they, they, haven't, they don't know how to manage that um, passion. Uh, they don't, it, it kind of is, kind of floods them with emotions. And so they want to like squash it because it makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That's not my problem. If you're uncomfortable with me crying with joy, if my child does something good, mm-hmm. right? That's, I'm going to be who I am and express my pride for my child with, and tears may fall. And because that makes you uncomfortable, you know, tough. I can't not be me, right? And I don't mean that in a way of like walk. That means I can walk around, you know, topless. <laughs> Although there are people who are clamoring for that, I must say. No, I, you know, it doesn't mean that. What it means is, and I, and I never want to be somebody who like consciously goes out to hurt others. That's mm-hmm. not the way I want to be in the world. But I'm not going to modulate my true authentic self to make somebody else comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. I'm. Uh, that is a no-go in my world mm-hmm. because squashing myself, the consequences, again, back to that word, but the consequences on the quality of my life for squashing myself is not worth the momentary joy somebody else gets from me playing small. Yeah, the the playing small thing. Um, and again, like, I don't think it has to be these big, hairy moments, right? It's, it's how do you show up in your world, in your life? And when I think about courage, like I was talking to my daughter one day and I said, when she was needing to talk to one of her teachers and, and I said, you know, this is you practicing courage. And she said, mom, that's not courage. And I said, courage isn't these heroic acts. It's this ordinary courage of this is something outside of your comfort zone. And how do you show up and be seen in your life? Um, and, and I know with the clients that I work with, when the struggle and the unhappiness comes because they dim themselves, because they listen to that voice. And I do the same thing of who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mother, wife, worker, you know, um, and we can really get into that. I'm not a good enough mother bit. I see that happening all the time, the whole comparing despair or my child's not good enough. And that's a reflection of me as a parent. Um but when we can just really allow ourselves to be, because when we, oh, here's something. When we dim ourselves small, Michelle, then we don't even allow for ourselves to reflect and to grow and go, hey, what can I learn from this? Do we? Mm-mm. It's impossible because we're so busy hiding something. You know, we're so busy um, shrinking. You know, there used to be somebody in my life, I, I have a good vocabulary, and as you know, I, I like to read. And so I'm a words person. I love words. I love the kind of intricacy, intricacy of words, which obviously I can't say intricacy, <laughs> but I love, I love words, right? So there used to be somebody in my life that I would, say, I would use a word, 
um, penultimate, which is a stupid example, but let's just go with it. So I would use the word, you know, that's like a penultimate, um, you know, the penultimate moment. And this person would say, what was that word? Penultimate. And, and then the person would say, I have never heard that word before. How do you spell that word? P-E-N, you know, go uh-huh. through it. Huh. Penultimate, that is crazy. Well, what was the message that I got there? Don't use big words. Uh. You know, it's not appropriate to use big words. So I found myself in relationship with, in my relationship with this person, squashing my, my innate ability to use language. And that did not feel good. Uh And so, and it was only when I realized I I was searching for a word with somebody else. Because I was trying to dumb down my language because that's what I'd been told to do. Mm -hmm. That I realized how far I had taken it and it wasn't good. It didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And so that, when you say it doesn't have to be like big things, like I'm compromising my integrity. Mm -hmm. But it is the kind of thing you're compromising yourself. Mm-hmm. And there are always consequences for that. It's those small things over time. Yes. So, so like if it's a coworker who in some ways is belittling you because you use words like freaking penultimate, that permeates into your whole work life. Similar if it was your parent or your spouse or your neighbor, whomever. Well, and that's what affects culture, right? It's not those big moments. It's those small things over time. And what are the little messages that come out about it? Right. I wasn't worthy of using big words. Like, who gets to decide that? <laughs> you know, I mean, really, who? And I, I, do we have time for me to tell another yes. quick story? So I had this client that came to me very early in my coaching practice. And I, I really did. I just loved this person. And she was a senior vice president at a large bank. And, um, and her big shame trigger was the fact that she'd never gone to college. So even though she had achieved this amazing career, she was always looking over her shoulder that people were going to find out she had never gone to college. And so as we talked about it, I said, well, why didn't you go to college? You know me, I'm just going to ask the question that's the elephant in the room. Why didn't you go to college? And she said, well, I was ready to go to college, and I was going to go to college as a chemistry major. And my senior year in high school, I was in chemistry class, and we got to talking. And I said, yeah, I was going to college as a, as a chemistry major. And my chemistry teacher looked at me, and he said, this woman is now probably 60. She said, girls don't belong in chemistry. You're going to be taking a, a slot for a man who could actually have a career in this. You're going to get knocked up. And you're never going to use this. What do you think you're doing? That struck her at the core so deeply that she not only didn't study chemistry, she didn't go to college. She ended up getting married, having a baby, and working as a teller in a bank. And because of her ability and her capacity and her smarts and her people skill, she worked her way up to be a senior vice president of this bank. So here we were talking probably... 40 years maybe after that high school chemistry class. And she was telling me the story of what that teacher said with such, it was so real to her and it was so current to her. And I said to her, 
why are you giving that guy power over your entire life? You've given him power for 40 years. Isn't it time you took the power for yourself? And it was like this moment for her because she had carried for 40 years what one chemistry teacher said one day in one class. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's an example right there of how you can change the world, right? And are you using um, your powers for good or not? You know, are you pushing people down? Or are you letting them be able to rise? Um, All right. And are you holding that story and making making that um, horrible moment? Because we can, I think we can all agree, it's a pretty freaking horrible thing. Mm-hmm. But she was reliving 1974 every day of her life instead of living in 1990 or 2000 or 2000, now 14. I mean, I have to say she's really changed her life and is extremely happy now. But do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. why, why continue to live Groundhog Day? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I do go back to. And this is, I think, one of the things that helps with my clients of moving, moving towards worthiness is looking at the evidence that they've, they've created in their life right? Looking at how they've changed their own trajectory and how it may be different from their family of origin or what have they created, you know, maybe since their divorce or what have they created in this leadership position and, and holding that evidence as they move forward and then being honest about, okay, well, this is what we tried, you know, in our corporate setting and this is what worked and this is what didn't. Let's get rid of this and how can we move forward to have more growth here? Um, but I, I, it go, what it comes to mind as we're talking about this and with this worthiness p- piece is being able to have that ability, like Carol Dweck says, of having that growth mindset mm-hmm. where you can look at your mistakes as not, you know, something about you, but, oh, I made a mistake. What can I learn from this? Versus a fixed mindset where the behavior is more a different definition of who you are as a person. Right. And back to the baseball analogy, you know, if Ty Cobb felt every time he's, he had to strike out that that was some sort of referendum on his worthiness, he would never be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, you know, get him next time, I think is a great phrase. Yeah, let's go get him next time. <laughs> you know, because there's always going to be, when a baseball season is like 180-some games. Mm-hmm. And, and so there is a game tomorrow. And the day after that, probably, and the day after that, probably. And so, what can you learn? How? What can you learn about your running style that needs to change? What can you learn about your throwing skills that needs to be improved? What can you, you know, if you're a pitcher, why not have that kind of open heartedness? You know, our good friend uh, Pam Slim on Facebook talked about the World Series. And one day, remember the Giants were ten and zero against Kansas City. They lost, and then the next day they came back and they won it. And it was at Kansas City. They won the, the entire series. And she said, "This is a great example of life. You know, some days you do lose zero to ten, and but then you get back up the next day and you go do your best. And some days things work out for you. But how often do you? I think when you're in that fixed mindset, that zero to ten day." that's when we can get stuck in that swampland and we can build that tent, you know, pitch the tent, build the campfire and just stay stuck there thinking we can't move through it. Like, because I don't have, I don't have everything I need to get through it. But the Mm -hmm. truth is you do have everything you need. Yeah. Because it's right inside of you, isn't it? It really is. (laughs) 
On that note, I think that's a good note to end. So Michelle, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's always fun. It's my pleasure. This is so much fun. So worthiness, where do you struggle with it? Do you hear that voice in the back of your head? I invite you to practice listening to what those shame gremlins say. That voice of I'm not enough. Who the hell do I think I am? That's the voice of shame. Anytime we go into comparison or scarcity, that right there is with shame. So it's not about not having it or becoming shame resistant. It's about becoming resilient. And how do you move through it, right? Michelle is an example of somebody that's learned how to move through it, right? I keep learning how to move through it. In some areas, I'm really great. In some areas, there's more work to do. So with this idea of worthiness, um, it takes practice and it takes practice and you know, I think a lot about how, what can I learn from it? I ask myself that question. I'm constantly circling back. Um, and the more that you can stay in that growth mindset. So if you remember what uh, we talked about with the growth mindset versus fixed mindset, I had the interview with, I've done a couple of interviews with Carol Dweck, who is a professor at Stanford. And she's done this research about psychology of success. And she wrote a book called Mindset. And I'll put links on the show notes page to her interviews if you want to go and listen to that. But what she realizes that there's some of us that have a growth mindset where when we don't do things well, right, we make mistakes, we have the ability to look at that and go, oh, what can I learn from this and move forward and then actually go back and do better at it and improve. Um, Those of us with a fixed mindset or in the parts of our lives where we have fixed mindsets, we will make it mean that it's not possible and shut down. And so really thinking about how do you show up in your world? How do you shine through? And the great news from Carol Dweck is that we can all practice and develop more growth mindset. And it's not we're either or, we're one or the other. There's some parts of our life that we may have that ability and other parts that we don't. So I invite you to look at those other areas in your life where you may have that growth mindset. And what are the things that you say? Do you listen to that voice, right? The not good enough voice, not good enough mom, not good enough spouse, not good enough friend, not good enough employee, not good enough entrepreneur, whatever the voice may be. Not good enough person, not good enough in looking how you look, right? Whatever that voice will be, in what arenas that do you, are you able to not listen to that voice and still stand your sacred ground and understanding what it is, what are the attributes that allow you to stand there and not hear those critics in the stand, the not good enough critics. And then how can you apply that into this other arena where you're struggling with that, where you're having a hard time, right? How can you show up and be seen in your world? How can you show up and be courageous? And again, a courageous act can be opening the door for somebody at Starbucks. It can be talking to the cashier, right? It doesn't have to be these heroic things that are going to make some blog or Huffington Post or something like that, right? It can be the small things that you do in your life. What are the things that you can do to help build that resilience so that you can move through the shame? Because we're all going to have it. And really, that's the thing that gets in the way of our own worthiness, right? Worthiness and this lack of worthiness, you're not alone. So many people feel this way, right? I'm not going to say everyone, but lots of people that I talk to, am I really worthy? And maybe that you feel worthy in one sector, but what's the other area? And then to, it's like I was telling a friend today, there's always another drawer to clean, right? And the drawer is the metaphor for us. There's always another space inside of us to do work on, 
to move through. And so when we understand that, how can we move forward? So let me know your thoughts on this. How do you move forward? You know, and how do you practice your own worthiness um, instead of letting it hold you back? Because when we think of those crappy thoughts of who do I think I am or I'm not worthy or it's not possible for me, those become crappy thoughts and they leave us living small instead of why not me or what can I do? What can I learn from this to move forward? Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.